pass these some of these around. Uh, maybe thanks. great to read from that passage in, in Ephesians chapter 3. Um, right at the beginning of the weekend, we, uh, I, I talked about big picture passages, and Ephesians chapter 3 is, is, is a big picture passage. Uh, Ephesians as a whole, actually, uh, is almost uh, certainly the first three chapters, uh, and then four goes into strategy. Which, which to, to a large extent, we, we're not looking at this weekend. Remember what I said at the beginning? We're not looking at the message that we are to communicate. Uh, and we're not really looking at the, the strategy either uh, in that sense. Um, but I may just touch it in the summary as we finish off the, this morning uh, together. Um, but Ephesians chapter 3 is, is a big picture passage, and it's relevant to us this morning. So um, I think if you had turned to Ephesians 3, and if you've just turned to Ephesians 3, and we were reading that prayer, and, and in that prayer, uh, verse 19, you, you get, and remember what I said about these four pictures, they are not separate, they're not four things, and pick one, and let that one inform your life. You will be lopsided in your understanding of God's purposes. We need these four pictures. And remember I said there, there are more, uh, but four is enough. Uh, in fact, it was a squeeze to get four into the sessions of the weekend, as you may have noticed. But uh, I think these four are, are, are like the necessary minimum, shall I say, to get your head around in terms of understanding God's purposes. And in verse, in verse 19, they're in the press, so that you may be filled, it actually says, as it were, filled to all fullness, Filled up, that you may be filled with what? We just prayed it. What did we pray? That that we we and it is a collective you as opposed to you individually. And you may realize when what it is we're to be filled up with that, that for me individually to be filled up with this is just not on. We that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. So can, can you see that what we've been saying this week is not fantasy, it is not, it's not beyond thinking, it is what we're supposed to think about. It is a collective, so it's not me as an individual, although I as an individual need to be filled as much as I as an individual can be filled, but there is a collective that this new humanity, this community, this, this people of God, and there's loads of terms, this bride of Christ, there's loads of terms to describe the collective of what we, and we not just church as in post-Pentecost, but from the beginning of time, Hebrews 11 teaches us right to the very end, the whole of humanity together, because they in the old covenant and had to wait for us in the new covenant so that together we may be filled with all the fullness of God. So you get the idea that God is in the process in some way of reproducing himself, not in a biological sense and not in a replacement sense and not in a sense 
uh, that, that, that we are gods. We talked briefly about that. But there is this profound connection uh, between who we are and who God is. And we were from the very beginning designed for this. And we've just prayed for it there. So that's just pulling together some of the four things that we have been uh, reflecting on this weekend. So being in the image of God to reflect who he is, uh, and then in relationship with one another, community, God is community, we are called to community, uh, and it's not easy (laughs) as fallen beings to be in community, Uh, but we're learning, and I trust as a local church we're learning, and then, then he placed us in an environment that he made for us, and he intends creation to be part of eternity. That's one of the points trying to get at yesterday, that creation is eternal. Now, not this world that we're looking around is going to change. There is going to be a new creation. But how this one and that one is connected, we're not sure. But Corinthians 15 discusses the issue of the the resurrection body. And one point Paul makes quite clear is it's like planting a seed. You plant a seed in the ground. What you get out of the ground is not the seed. You get something different, but you don't get pears out of an orange seed. So what you put into the ground is connected to what grows. You get, so I mean, this agricultural stuff, it's constantly saying to us, what you do now matters because you're planting something that will produce. And although what's coming in the new creation, in one sense, will be very different from what we are now, it is connected. So be careful what you're doing with what you've got. Because it's a seed that you're dealing with that is connected to what's coming. That's what we were discussing yesterday under the concept of creation. Uh, This morning, we're we're looking at the fourth one. And uh, it's a huge huge subject, the kingdom of God. It's a subject that has caused endless debates, divisions, uh, you know, ideas, different ideas. It has caused endless trouble in the world. I've just mentioned crusades, for example. Uh, It's a misunderstanding of the kingdom of God that led to us trampling through Europe into Israel and and recovering Jerusalem as a Christian church. And look at the political fallout today from that. So this kingdom of God subject is an enormous subject with implications in all directions in 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 a discussion time Hopefully, we will definitely have some discussion time. We will look at it. But just look back a little bit in Ephesians chapter 3, and you'll see what the big picture, how it relates to this. Because I won't go into what Ephesians is. Well, Ephesians is about the church. It's about us, basically. And in the middle of, by the time we get to chapter 3, Paul is trying to explain that the church uh, that we are part of is, is absolutely central to God's purposes So uh, if I break in perhaps at verse 8, to me less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given to proclaim to the nations, uh, this is a Jew speaking, uh, you may have the word Gentiles there, and that's the idea that as one of the chosen nation of Israel, it was given to me, Paul says, to proclaim to the nations the unfathomable uh, riches of Christ and to enlighten everyone about God's secret plan, mystery, 
God's purposes, a mysterion. Uh, so what's God's mystery here? Who has created all th- God, God's secret plan, the one who has created all things. The purpose of this enlightenment is that through the church, the multifaceted wisdom of God should now be disclosed to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Uh, here in the middle of this chapter, we suddenly, suddenly get an insight that it's not about us at all. If uh, putting it this way, the church is just an instrument in God's hand to deal with another realm of beings who we have a bit of interaction with, but who we know very little about in actual fact, and it is angels and demons. So that the purposes of God in mission are not just about us, but in in bringing us into this community, he is actually working on another project of which we know very little about, but we know enough about to know that it's significant and that our role is significant in these purposes. Now, one term we can use, and one term not so much we can use, one term that the Bible uses to discuss this, uh, I think, is the concept of the kingdom of God. Uh, let's, let's go to Revelation. Now, Revelation, at first thought, may be a tricky place to jump into, especially in the middle of it, chapter 12. But I can't find a better graphic picture of what it's all about than Revelation chapter 12. So let's, for a few moments, read Revelation chapter 12. Um, uh, I'm sure at various points you may have had a go at reading the book of Revelation. Uh, and if you've been long on the pathway, you may even had a go at trying to get your head around <laughs> Revelation. And if it's any consolation, uh, whatever, 50-odd years down the road, since a child, I've grappled with Revelation, and I'm still unclear on huge chunks of it. But there are some bits that are clear, and we're about to read, I think, a very clear chapter. So you'll be relieved at that, that we're about to read a very clear chapter. But it's Revelation, so it is couched, it's not, it's totally in pictorial language. So here we go. Then a great sign. And, and if, uh, however you read Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 is the beginning of a new section. Now, don't think of it in chronology. Uh, just think of it as, as, a, as a, new, a new look, a new vision. Okay, so we're, we're at the beginning of something here. Then a great sign appeared in heaven. A, a woman clothed. The reason I say that is don't think this is future. It's quite clear as I read down here, he's not talking about future, he's talking about past, okay? So a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon and under her feet and on her head uh, was a crown of 12 stars. Now I want you to start chatting to your friends sitting there, who's this, okay? Just, just, just chat. Who's this? So we want to know. A woman. Uh, the, the language is intentionally to, to create links to Scripture in the past Old Testament. So uh, sun, moon, and stars, and, and twelve sun, moon, and 12 stars. What does sun, moon, and 12 stars remind you of? Okay, sun, moon, and 12 stars. This is visions and dreams. That may give you a clue. So sun, moon, and 12 stars. Where does that come from? 
in our Bible. Joseph's dream. Okay, Joseph's dream. So this has probably got something to do with the sons of Jacob. Okay, fair enough. She was pregnant, and, she, it, and it's not a pleasant picture, although it's a common picture. She was pregnant. She was in labor pain, struggling to give birth. A very common human experience, whether you've experienced it or somebody close to you, or you were the baby being born. You have experienced, we've all experienced Oh, who does that? Yeah, she was, <laughs> she, she was pregnant and she was screaming in labor pain, struggling to give birth. Now, who are we thinking of? It could be. Uh, Try to put the picture together. Any, any possibilities? Well, if it's back in the Joseph period, it could have been Rachel, Joseph's mother. That's true. Any other candidates for who this woman is? Israel, as a nation, giving birth to a child. Uh, Mary, Eve. We've got a whole pile of echoes here. That uh, You're right, coming up. As you're meant to. That's how this works, Revelation works, by creating echoes which funnel together until you begin to see the shape of what, what's being talked about here. But just as you're about to get your head around the woman, uh, with then, then another sign appeared in heaven, a huge red dragon who had seven heads, ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadem crowns. Um, so who have we got here? Now the dragon's tail... Yeah, we'll we'll jump quickly uh, to the to to the potential answer. Now the dragon's tail swept a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them on the earth. If it's Lucifer, the son of the morning, then is this giving us a little window into uh, the imp- his impact? on the stars of heaven, and the direction of their focus swept them, uh, hurled them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about, it's a, it's a horrific scene, although a common scene. Infanticide uh, was not uncommon, particularly girl infanticide in the Roman era, Okay. So it may be graphic and 18-rated for us, but in the culture, that, that stuff was going on. Uh, a girl, if a girl was born in the Roman Empire, uh, a number were simply put to death uh, as boys were preferred. Stood before the woman who was about to give birth that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. So, so, so we're beginning to sort of—it's like a fuzzy focus on a camera that's beginning to pull in, and until you you get it, the woman gave birth to a son, a male child, who is going to rule over the nations with a rod of iron. And you've probably got enough scripture to pull together to say this is this is Jesus. So it is Mary. Is it Mary, or is it Israel, or is it Eve? Because God said to Eve, your seed will crush his head. Do you remember that? 
So, so this, 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 this focusing lens, which is clearly focusing towards Jesus, embraces both Mary, Israel, and Eve, because they're all in the line of producing the one. What's really interesting about this vision, her child was suddenly caught up to God and to his throne. No mention of the cross. It's, it's really intriguing, this picture. It's a fast, it's a fast forward. It's a, it's a zoo, it's a, what do you call it? Uh, in films, you have a, what, a flip back. What do you call them? It's gone for the moment. A flashback. You have a flashback, and then you have a, a zoom forward. Uh, it, it doesn't talk about the, his life, death, and resurrection. It just, from birth, straight up to heaven. Um, and she fled into the wilderness where a place would be prepared for her by God so she could be taken care of for 1260 days, all very mysterious and childhood. Then war broke out in heaven. Be careful with the thens. They're not necessarily in chronological order. They are so much in order of focus. So we've seen the birth of the child, and the child is enthroned in heaven. Now let's have another look at what's going on. War in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But the dragon was not strong enough to prevail, so there was no longer any place left in heaven for him and his angels. I saw Satan fall as lightning, Jesus said, as he watched his disciples go off on their first mission journey. Mystery about the timing, but not about the certainty of what is going on here. So the huge dragon, the ancient serpent, the one called the devil and Satan, so we're left by now. The camera is in full focus, so now, now we know who we're talking about very clearly. The one who deceives the whole world was thrown down to the earth and his angels along with him. Then I heard. Now, again, it's not chronology. Then I heard. It's, it's focus, not chronology. So let's focus on another thing, the vision says. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, The salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the ruling authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the one who accuses them day and night before our God, has been thrown down. But they overcome him in, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, who do not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore you heavens rejoice and all who reside. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you. He is filled with terrible anger for he knows that he only has a little time. And he's maybe had 10,000 years or more, but in God's reckoning, that's just a little bit of time. So now the devil recognized uh, that he had been thrown to the earth. He pursued the woman who had been given birth to the male child. Now, you can compress 2,000 years of history in there, and you can see the persecution of Jews and is Israel to this very day and recognize that there's a spiritual element going on here, even over these last 2,000 years. Uh, but the woman was given wings of a giant eagle so she could fly to the wilderness to the place God prepared for her where she could be taken care of, preserved to this very day. Amazing. Then the serpent spouted water out 
to try to sweep her away in a flood. I'm paraphrasing slightly. But the earth opened up its mouth to rescue her. So whatever attempts are made to destroy the woman, the very creation itself is protecting her. So the dragon became enraged at the woman and and went away to make war on the rest of her children. Who's the rest of her children? It's all very intriguing, isn't it? And it's still going on as, uh, because this is the beginning. You know probably chapter 13 even better because the dragon now goes and stands on the seashore and then lo and behold, out of the sea uh, comes the beast. And uh, I'll let you work out the rest of the book of Revelation. We'll just focus on that much, okay? (laughs) Um, Chapter 12 is a brilliant bit of clarity on the fact that we are you could say trapped, we're certainly located in the front line of a universal war that goes beyond time and space. And we are not alone in this world. All the look and searching for aliens and all the rest, the the, the Word of God had made us very clear, we have never been alone on this planet. For from the very beginning, there has been an enemy Uh, enemies who are literally hell-bent on ensuring that we are part of their kingdom and not part of the kingdom of God. Now, this is a whole dimension in in material-focused, naturalistic Western world that we, we pay lip service to, I would say, quite honestly, as Christians, as evangelicals even. We pay lip service to the reality of spiritual warfare. We engage with it as it affects us with respect to dealing with the flesh, but happily kind of forget that there is both the world, the flesh, and the devil. The kingdom of God picture and concept will not let us there, will not let us stay there. It forces us to recognize that we are not alone in this world, never have been, and we are caught in a warfare. We are engaged in something that is way beyond us. And yet God has, Ephesians chapter 3, his purpose, his mission is not just saving us, but through us, somehow, no idea quite how, because Paul doesn't explain it, somehow to deal with the spirit worlds, the heavenly realms. So we're involved in something here, and we have already briefly sketched that, but the, 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 the Scriptures teach us just enough to understand that when God created the material universe, there had existed or at the same time created a spirit world uh, with, with angels, spirit beings, who in some ways reflect Him, but, but I'm not aware that they are specifically described as made in his image. And I stand to be corrected there, but in my mind I see a difference between spirit beings and human beings. Now what the exact difference is, I I don't know, but there is a difference. uh, And the purpose 
for angels and humans is different, so the Scriptures teach us. Uh, Then as things progress, and and we really don't know when this happened, hints that it perhaps happened Genesis 1 between verses 1 and 3, maybe, no idea, that's one theory, that there is really no certainty as to when this happened, but there is a rebellion that, that spirit beings had free will to some extent. Again, that's another area of debate, uh, but the point is they, they made choices, choices outside of time that may uh, impact things as well. I don't know. These are things that are beyond us. All we know is evil originates when choices are made against God, and the consequences are the establishment, we could say, of the domain of darkness. It's a a phrase taken out of Colossians, uh, the kingdom of darkness. It didn't stay there. Genesis 3 makes that quite clear. That ancient serpent who spoke to Eve is not just a material creature, but in some way is connected with the sweeping of a third of the stars. And so that conflict in heaven is brought into our environment and is part and parcel of our story, though we are accountable for our own choices. So it's not that we were overwhelmed and had no choice in the matter. Genesis 3 makes that very clear. You could see the thought processes in Eve's mind. We don't see the thought processes in Adam's mind, but they're clearly parallel in some shape or form. Um, She made a choice, and there are consequences as Adam makes his choice with her, and we know the consequences of that, and we've discussed it already this week. And so what are God's purposes then? Uh, Well, looking at it with this picture or this lens, then we use a language which, which is language of conquering or reconquering or restoring order. In a universe, and I'm using the word universe there, probably shouldn't use the word universe there. I'm not meaning the material universe. I'm meaning all that exists, heaven and earth, Uh, everything, the heavenly realms, the earth realms, restoring order uh, out of the chaos uh, of, of what has been and what still currently is. Uh, and as we were reading there in Revelation 12, it's not entirely easy. I'm not saying I know where we are. It, 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 it's not easy to fit chronology, our chronology, into Revelation 12. But we get the main points that it's trying to communicate. Uh, let, let's turn back to uh, Corinthians 15, because 1 Corinthians 15 is another big passage uh, chapter. I hope uh, this weekend I've I've been able to highlight to you some major passage, big passage or big picture passages. A passage of scripture which sits in the middle of of a book and suddenly it kind of widens out the lens and shows us a, a Genesis to Revelation view. It's like you've got a wall with some items on it and suddenly a window opens and you see out into something that is much bigger than the room in which you are. Nothing wrong with the room, and most of our lives are lived in in the room, and we deal with the details, but we need to remember there's a bigger world out there. Now, that's true in a personal level, learning that there's a bigger world out there than my little domain, Uh, but, but here it's as humanity, we need to realize we are not the main thing, or at least we're not the only thing. Arguably, in God's purposes, we are the main thing, but, but we're not the only thing out there. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, we'll just 
pick in, uh, jump in about verse 20. Um, it's a chapter we have uh, referred to a bit before uh, about the resurrection. It's a chapter that really hits home strongly on the physicality of the resurrection. And as I said a few moments ago, uh, later in the chapter, he explains the connection between our current body and the future body. It's like the connection between a seed and a fruit. Okay, so you could go and think about that. Uh, and look after your body a bit better because there's a connection, <laughs> okay? Somehow, don't know, but the principle of looking after for now is crucial. Jesus told dozens of, well, lots of parables about the importance and the connection. If you're faithful in the few, then you will have responsibility for the many. You remember those parables? So th there's a huge connection as to how you use your skills and abilities, how you invest your time now has a direct correlation to your future. Uh, by God's grace, you're going to have that future, but what you do now has an effect. Uh, but verse 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, uh, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So I'm not interested here in the argument about the resurrection. Right in the middle of his argument for the physical resurrection, he, he opens a window. We are the first fruit, or rather Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. Since death came through one man, resurrection of the dead also comes through one man, through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. You can see Paul jumping from one issue suddenly to a big issue. Oh, yes, let's, let's go back to Adam. Let's think about what the big picture here, that we all came from Adam, but now, as a new humanity, we have jumped into a new dimension in Christ through the resurrection. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then when Christ comes, those who belong to him, got that? That's us. When Christ comes back, we will get that new body and be fully in the new dimension. But it doesn't stop there. Then comes the end. So the end comes after our resurrection. Okay, then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has brought to an end all rule and all authority and power. This, this is a future action of Christ. I do believe, uh, other passages make it clear, it's an action of Christ that is deeply rooted in what he did on the cross and, and, and affirmed through his resurrection. So it is linked to the message, absolutely. But it's still to be worked out in reality. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be eliminated is death. For he has put everything in subjection under his feet, Paul says, quoting from Psalm uh, 8. But when it says everything is put in subjection, it's clear that he doesn't include God, <laughs> uh, who put everything under Christ. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to the one who subjected everything to him. It's a bit of a tongue twister, so that God may be all in all. It's, it's an amazing window opening. This is what it's about. And we're in the middle of this. And our resurrection will trigger another, another action 
which will ultimately lead to the restoration of all things under God through Christ, who himself does the absolutely key thing. The kingdom of God is about, and I'll use the word, and it's probably the most hated words of a generation, it's about submission. Uh, and it, 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 it's got, a, in English, a, a kind of nasty, pl- unpleasant dimension, and it has. We have twisted and distorted it horrifically, largely by demanding submission. But Christ shows us that, that, that the willing surrender to the one who is rightfully our maker, our creator, the willing surrender of ourselves to the source of all things, it is submission, uh, but it is the very root of all things. It is true order, true order. That's, that's what it's all about. And Christ, of course, in his life, powerfully and amazingly um, demonstrates this. I'm jumping a bit. I'm conscious of time, and I'm not going to go through all the PowerPoints. I've probably gone off off script, but a slightly different order, and that, that's fine. Um, but but in, in the Garden of Eden, actually I will jump, you don't have these, it doesn't matter, you'll get them later. In the Garden of Eden, there was something called a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and, and, and there is a sense in which it is, it is quite a mystery as to what this tree actually is in, in the garden. But, but one way of looking at it is that this is the core of the problem. The core of the problem, and it was the problem with Lucifer. You could read about it in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, 29. Sorry, the preferences have just gone out of my mind a sec. It is the I wills. I will, I will, I will, I will. And that's, of course, what Eve and Adam did in the garden. And it's not just that I will do it. It's actually I will define what's right and wrong. That's what the, I think, uh, something to do, what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is about. Who has the authority to decide what's right and wrong in our lives? And true order before our creator is to say, God, you are God, you know what the design is, you know what's right and wrong, and therefore I bring myself under you. And in bringing myself under you, I know that I will move and flow as I was meant to move and flow. And Adam and Eve simply didn't do that. They made that choice to design their own world uh, and to order it as they thought best. Uh, They probably didn't think all of that, but ultimately we think we don't always think all of that, but the way we lead our lives often is that's what we're thinking. I know best. I'll make my own decision. I know what's right. And society is now doing that. It's always done it, but it's doing it in a very graphic way. And, and as we turn to Jesus Christ, we, we just get some of those beautiful pictures of, of how a human should function. A powerful passage in Hebrews, when the body was prepared for Jesus, Lo, I have come, it is written of me in the volume of the book, quoting the old version, to do your will, oh my God. I have not come to do my will. Father, as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, 
but yours be done. And if you want to pinpoint any point uh, which is central, (laughs) I would almost go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I know he went to the cross and all the rest, but the attitude, the right attitude to God was displayed there and then in the intensity, sweat as it were drops of blood. It was that intense that his body cells were breaking down with the stress. It it happens, they say. I've never been stressed to that degree. Uh, Some anecdotal notes in World War I in the trenches of the stress of those horrific situations where people bleed. The blood vessels in in those parts of the body that, that are most vulnerable, sensitive, or close to the surface. It's the stress of it. Sweat, as it were, drops of blood. The intensity of that moment was about, do I do my own thing, or do I do the Father's will? And there the kingdom of God, you could say, was established. The cross was, the, was part of the working of that out. But if he had prayed differently in the garden, then what would have been the consequences? I only do what the Father wants me to do. And so, so, so that is interesting, isn't it? That's what we pray. And I want us to just go into groups at this point uh, and take a few minutes to, to think this through. Because we pray. I don't know. We don't pray, do we? <laughs> Some churches pray on a regular basis. And um, I, I know Jesus said don't, don't repeat words and so forth. Uh, but there is value in going back to the model prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your name be honored, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It it is about bringing the kingdom of God in. There's questions as to how, so let's head into groups and think about that. Uh, This is what it's about. So um, I think you, do you have, yes, you do have. Flip side is there. there There are two shades of questions in that the first question, one, picks up exactly at this point. In terms of thinking about, well, what, what, when I pray it, uh, honor your name, bring your kingdom, may your will be done. It clearly is asking for it now. So what does that look like in my life, in church, and in our world today? The second two questions, questions two and three, are, are looking at the subject really of evil spirits. And you may want in your group, I would like you to to get to to that in your group. What has been your experience of evil spirits or of angels? Uh, And uh, what role do we have, if any? I'm not not pushing, uh, the question is not pushing for a role, but it's asking the question, what role, if any, should we play in terms of the battle going on in the spirit world? where, Where is our interface uh, with this bigger picture in a real in a, in our in our life situations, Trisha, 